how do you know when it's time to walk away from a startup idea? Because it's easy to pour your heart and soul into a business idea. It's your baby. It's your passion. You're so excited. But not every idea is meant to be or not every idea is meant to be by that particular person. Hello, and welcome to Wind Down, Build Up, the podcast giving you the tea and the tools to succeed in business. I'm Tabitha Solomon. And I'm KJ Miller. Today on the show, it's time for another grab bag. Grab bag! (laughs) (laughs) You guys have been hitting us with a lot of questions recently, so we thought we'd take some time to dive back in and answer your questions. And, And actually, we're thinking we'll make this a quarterly thing, right? Yeah, I think that we get enough questions that aren't big enough to turn into a full episode because we want to keep our episodes really meaty and enriching for folks, uh, but still really important to tackle. So this is the perfect format for it. Absolutely. So we're excited to dig into it and we will right after a word from our sponsors. Hey guys, I'm so excited to share our sponsor for this week. So it's from Stephen Hewitt. He just released a book on Amazon called Tyler and Jean's Lemonade Stand Adventure. Now, I don't know about you guys, but I've always been frustrated by the fact that we don't learn any financial literacy in our schooling growing up. You can graduate from high school, from college, from even a master's and not know what a balance sheet is, what a cash flow statement is, and some essential financial documents, especially if you want to go into business for yourself. Well, Stephen decided to take action and put together an incredible, I mean, an incredible book that has great illustrations. It is essentially created for kids to understand business and to understand financials. And to be quite honest with you, it's simplified in a way where if you're an adult and you're intimidated by understanding and learning financial documents and how assets, liability, equity all works, he simplifies it where a five-year-old could get it. So obviously adults can also get it. I highly recommend this book. I'm so excited to have Tyler and Jean's Lemonade Stand Adventure as our next sponsor. I can't wait for you guys to check it out. We'd love to hear your feedback. All right, guys. So this week we are going to hit you with the grab bag. Again, (laughs) we're answering your questions. We get a lot of questions both in the inbox. We get questions from our DM. So that's what we're going to dig into. But I thought for the tea, we would focus on one particular email we got from a lovely woman named Nina. She wrote in to us wanting to know our thoughts on the topic of unpaid labor by female founders. So I don't know if you guys saw this article. She sent us the article, so I hadn't seen it yet, but it's an article on Medium. It's literally titled The Unpaid Labor of Female Founders. Um, So if you want to look it up and read the whole thing, um, but to give you guys a little bit of context, basically what this article argues is that I'm sure most of us have heard of the idea of the unpaid labor that women mostly absorb when it comes to the household, right? So we do, we tend to do more of the cooking, more of the cleaning, more of the social calendar planning, all of these things that help a household run and in turn make it so that 
the the spouse or the significant other can do what they need to do, but you know, none of which is paid. Hmm. And so what this particular author was arguing was in fee in, in startups, female founders are expected to do the additional unpaid labor of being brand ambassadors in a way that a lot of times men are not expected to do. So we have to be a hundred percent on all the time on our social media in interviews, make sure our hair is done and coiffed and makeup is, you know, perfect and in every single way and every single encounter seen as sort of like the people who hold up the brand. And not only that, we're also supposed to be because we're women, we're supposed to be like the therapist for everyone in the company. And again, unpaid labor, right? Where if we were men, people wouldn't expect us to always be front and center, polished and shiny and whatever. And they also wouldn't expect us to be these therapists for everyone in the company. So it's a really in-depth article. I encourage you to read it, but I know we, we both took a look and, and read through. So what were some of your thoughts, Tabitha? You know, I sometimes wonder if, and I, I hope this is answered your question, but I wonder if it has to do uh, with the root of the problem uh, of women just raising less capital than our male peer counterparts. Mm. So, because my thought is, if you've raised, you know, um, pennies on the dollar of what a man can be able to raise, the men have more disposable, essentially, money in their coffers to pay themselves for additional tasks that women don't. And so the women may often just pick up the extra burden because they're so passionate and committed to the vision of their company that they're like, you know what, this has to get done is best for the, for the health of my business. So I'll do it whether I'm paid or I'm not paid. Um, and it, it roots back to like, they would pay themselves if they had the opportunity to pay themselves for a brand investor and for all these other things, but they just don't have the money. So it's something that was kind of swirling in my head on maybe if we, you know, dig into and double click, it might go back to the fundraising issue. I don't mm -hmm. know. Yeah, I, I think that's a good point. I mean, for sure, we know women raise less than men. And I do think if you had the money to bring in an HR specialist earlier, you probably would. Like, who doesn't want help with the people stuff? Or if you had the money to really dedicate your time to bringing in like a media consultant um, so that you could be at your best every time you were in an interview or on TV or whatever, as opposed to spending all of this time trying to figure it out on your own. I definitely, I definitely think there's something to that. Mm -hmm. I guess when I was thinking about it, I was thinking about it more from the expectation of certain people that a woman CEO or woman founder occupies these roles. Mm -hmm. And I will say the brand ambassador role that makes a lot of sense to me. So even though I do think it's an expectation, I think it's something I would do anyway, no matter how much money we did or didn't raise. I think I'd always want to be out front and center as like the biggest cheerleader for this brand because yeah. you know, we built it. But the therapist role is something I feel like gets put on women. And not only this idea that you should be the therapist, but also it is a much bigger problem if you fail at that. Like if you That's fail, so interesting. yeah, if you fail as a woman mm -hmm. to be there for your employees, to make them feel warm and cuddly and supported and encouraged and acknowledged and all of these things, which are all things I think we should do fine, yeah. but like are also all things that I think plenty of first time founders and first time CEOs get wrong. Yeah. And I just think if you get it wrong as a woman, you get way more flack for that. That's so interesting. So 
I, I, to be honest with you, I don't feel like I play the therapist role and maybe because my organization's a bit smaller or maybe it's because like one of my co-founders who I talk to on a daily basis is a dude. So like, you know, we have like crazy banter all the time. Like, you know, it, it, it's very different. And maybe it's also because we're all remote. So we're not in the office every day mm-hmm. to see mm-hmm. each other where a lot of policy office excuse me office politics often takes place um all that's eliminated by having a remote team like we have a virtual happy hour um either every month or every other month where we like kick it but the rest of the time is pretty much business a couple jokes here and there on a weekly calls but like people are there to do their business and to build something great. It's, it's like very little to no drama, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I feel very fortunate. I, I, you know, I know this is an anomaly, but I think because of some of these situations, again, like not having an office, et cetera, I wonder if that's why I'm not forced into that role. Yeah. I do think, yeah, office culture and office politics can, can feed into it. And I also think, at least in my experience, because I'm not, I don't think great at being anyone's therapist or and often, <laughs> often not that great at being super sensitive to interpersonal needs or things like that. Like we, you know, we talked about on an earlier episode, like it took me a long time to get to a place where I got better at acknowledging people's work even because I sort of felt like, yeah, but we're all working. Like that's why yeah. we're all getting paid to be here, you know? So right, right. it's taken me a while to get to that. And I do just feel like when I think about my male founder counterparts, they're just given a bit more leeway. You know, mm-hmm. it's like, okay, well, maybe he's not warm and cuddly, but like he's getting it done. He's getting results. Like, and that's yeah. why he's here, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Well, there's for sure a different expectation. That's for sure. I think women are naturally seen as the nurturers. So if you're not nurturing people as that growth is happening, I, I do think that people feel like that's why I feel like uh, all these women are getting scolded in the press like oh they're angry and ruthless I'm like oh or they're just savvy businesswoman and don't put up with bullshit you know right. so I do think there's some truth there um whereas men I feel like it's like just get the work done um but yeah I definitely yeah. think there's some truth there well do you know what it makes me remember is if you think back to our first year at HBS Harvard Business School oh Yes, and the the case study that we did, and it's you know pretty famous at this point. I forget the exact title of it, but basically the case study that we did, where um, these researchers proved it's very difficult for most people to see women as both warm and competent. So most people can view a woman as one of those things, but as soon as they put you in that box, they can't see you in the other one. So for me, I feel like a lot of people might say that I'm competent. They look at, you know, what I've helped build with Amanda, my track record, my experience, whatever. And so they assume, oh yeah, KJ will get it done, but she's not warm at all. When yeah. in fact, like, I mean, I don't think I'm a cold person. You're you know? very warm. You're very warm. <laughs> so, yeah. so I, but it's, but it's, you know, it's been proven. You can put a woman and a man and, and the way they did this in this particular case was they wrote about an experience um, and uh, an executive who, you know, did a bunch of things, networked with a bunch of people, rose up in, um, in her field. And in one case study, they, uh, they made this protagonist a woman. And in the other case study, they made the protagonist a man, did the exact same thing, literally just changed the name from like Sally to Bob. And in the discussions about the case about Sally, 
everyone was like, she's cold. She's only in it for the money. She doesn't care about her employees. She doesn't care about her team. Like she's, you know, basically like she's a shark. But with mm-hmm. Bob, it was like, he's getting the job done, but he's also supporting his team members. He's doing what needs to be done. Like they didn't rate him as being this like yeah. cold, terrible person. And that yeah. I think, you know, is what we face as women. Right. I think there's some truth there. You know, I was also thinking though, like, it's okay. People say I'm competent. Well, excuse me. So people will say I'm competent and they'll never say I'm cold. They'll just be like, Oh, she's competent, you know, but it doesn't negate the fact, you know, it doesn't mean because I'm competent, I'm cold. Um, and I think it just doesn't come up in the conversation. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Where, um, in the study, it makes it sound like if you're competent, you know, you're inversely cold as a woman. Um, is that how you interpreted the article? And do you agree with that statement that that's the perception? I do. I mean, that is kind of how I interpreted that, you know, people sort of view you in this dichotomy and have real trouble as seeing you as being both of those things that, and I do feel like I've sort of experienced that. And for, for men, it seems like you're competent and then that's it. It doesn't, it's not like, because you're competent, that means you're inversely cold. It's just you're competent, period. <laughs> right? <laughs> like, right. <laughs> you could be incompetent as a douchebag, but they're, they're not necessarily linked together. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah it's really interesting. Well, I, I will just say thank you, Nina, for pointing us in the direction of that article that, that uh, kicked off this tea. And we'd love to hear anyone else's thought on this subject or another. But I think now we can dive into the tools and start answering some of you guys' other questions. Let's do it. Okay, awesome. Now, the first question I wanted to ask, just because we have gotten this from a couple people, um, it's not necessarily uh, business related, but it is related to us, is why did we de- why did we decide to start this podcast, given that it's taken time away from our businesses? You know, like we have to dedicate real time and energy to doing this podcast. We certainly aren't getting paid to do it. It's <laughs> not right now. <laughs> Um, so why did we decide to do it? Well, I know we talked about this, you know, even in our contract negotiation episode while, when we were setting expectation on like why you were doing it versus why I, why I was doing it because we felt like our uh, expectations and goals and what we're trying to get out of this needed to be aligned. Mm-hmm. Um, but they haven't changed. One is like, I'm going through a life evolution by building this business. Um, I'm learning so much that I wish I would have known one month, six months, a year ago, you know? And so if there's a opportunity for me to share some things I've learned from either tripping and failing or from just like cracking the code or learning from a mentor, I would love to share that with other listeners who have ambitions of becoming a full-time entrepreneur at some point. Um, And then secondly, you know, like, KJ and I were friends at B school, but I moved to Seoul, South Korea, and then I moved to San Francisco and you remain on the East coast, New York, and now Philly. And I just love the opportunity to connect with you, hear how you're thinking about your business, share what I'm thinking about my business, um, commiserate, celebrate, (laughs) you know, and, and just use it as an opportunity to continue to bond with a fellow female founder. Yeah. 100% agree with both of those. And I will also say, I return back to this all the time, something you said to me many months ago, which is 
we are bigger than our businesses. We are yes. more than our businesses. Yes. And I just feel like I get pressure sometimes from investors and other people to just be about minted all the time. And yeah. I have really worked to fight against that, to fight against this idea that like, if I spend any amount of time not working on minted, I'm failing minted. When in fact, I think the way I'm the best founder and CEO is by being my best self. Yeah. And, and for me, I like communicating. I like showmanship. I like being creative. I like thinking about content. That is a real thing that I enjoy doing. And this gives me an outlet for it. And so if I'm making myself better, I think I am also making myself a better founder. So I sort Absolutely. of reject the narrative that like, oh, you're taking time away from Minted. Like, no, I'm pouring time into myself. And that mm -hmm. makes me a better founder and CEO, I think. Absolutely. And, you know, if, if I'm selfish for a moment or take it from an investor's perspective on pushing back, we can't help but talk about Party Dash, Dash Camp, Minted Cosmetics, because that's where we've gained all of our lessons. You know, that's where we've learned. That's been our training ground. So people mm -hmm. are also reminded of these brands. So hopefully when they're looking to buy cosmetics or when they're looking to plan their kid's birthday party or when they're looking to send their kids to a virtual summer camp, because they've heard us hopefully pouring into their life and adding value, we will be part of the consideration set. Right. Exactly. hundred percent. All right. Well, that's question one. <laughs> uh, okay. Question two. We get this one a lot. How do you paint yourself as an expert if you're launching a product or service in an industry you don't actually have any experience in? And I think mm. we can both speak to this. So what's your, <laughs> what, what's your take on this? Yeah, so I'll, I'll talk about Dash Camp here. So I haven't talked about Dash Camp much. So quick summary, it's a virtual summer camp um, that is tailored for kids 6 to 11 years old. Um, and what we've done is we've gone out and find highly experienced, highly engaging teachers that are best of the best in the field. So, for instance, our STEM teacher is a PBS STEM host. Our PE coach is a former NFL player. Our magic teacher is a CBS award winner for magic. So, like, we've literally gone out and found the best of the best teachers. And so what I realized pretty quickly is um, for us to stand out in this like space um if i'm not an expert in entertaining or educating kids i would need to bring people on board who were and so that's what i did i coupled myself with people who are really good at what they do their arts um and their education but i'm good at what i do which is building a business and when we team together we build something phenomenal so i'm not positioning myself as an educator or as an entertainer I'm positioning myself as a business person who um, is at the helm of, of an organization that is led taught uh, uh, that provides entertainment live entertainment from the best of the best in that particular field yep yep that's so smart I think that makes so much sense like you know what it is you're the expert at which is business you've worked for amazing companies, you've started an amazing company, you've gone to a top tier business school, like, you know that really well, and you know what you don't know. And so you partner with the, with the people who do know. I think that's really great advice. I, I will say, I, I, what I will say about this particular question is, you know, Amanda and I didn't come from beauty, neither of us worked in the beauty industry in any real capacity before we started Minted. But we did two things. One was when it came to our investor pitch, 
we always said, look, we're not experts in beauty, but we're experts at being disappointed by beauty. Mm -hmm. Right. And so that means because this is like a visceral pain point for us, we are that much more motivated to get it right in terms of offering a solution because we're we're 20 years deep and being disappointed by this industry. So, yeah, that was one sort of framing of it. But then the other thing that I'll say is, look, we talk about our makeup as it relates to um, the beauty needs for the everyday woman, the everyday person. So we're not trying to frame our brand or our products as um, being super artistry focused. Now, look, we have plenty of makeup artists who use and love our products, but that's not what we're, that's not how we've ever marketed it because we aren't makeup artists. So Mm -hmm. it would be very difficult for me to say like, I am certain that if you are an artist, this is going to be the foundation you need because as an artist, X, Y, Z, no, I don't have that lens. And, and so my lens is as someone who every day, you know, wakes up and has some part of her beauty routine that she's trying to follow because it makes me feel better or whatever it is. I need these products to work for me, to be portable, to be easy, to be all mm-hmm. of these things. And I can give a lot of expertise to making sure the products hit those marks because I am that consumer. So I think mm-hmm. a lot of times, like if you can talk about your expertise as the consumer of a thing. Right. You can you can lend that and, and it can feel credible to say like, and that's why I'm the right person to build this thing in this industry, even if you don't necessarily have experience in that industry. Completely agree. Okay. Question three. Let's do it. <laughs> so this I think is a good one. I can't remember if we've talked about this on the show before. I think we have, but we get it a lot. How do you find the right co-founder? Oh, guys, I always say this is like such a critical decision uh, that you'll make for your organization. You know how people say who you choose as your life partner is the biggest decision you'll you'll make in your life, your husband, wife or just your partner. I feel like if you go into business, this is probably the second biggest decision you'll make (laughs) in your life. (laughs) <laughs> who you choose as your co-founder. Yes. Um, so I'll tell you how I did it. Um, for Party Dash and Dash Camp, uh, it worked similarly for both of my co-founders. Um, Kurt, my first one, who's currently my CTO and co-founder, he was actually an advisor of mine. Um, I was getting ready to, I had pitched a VC who was interested and I was trying to close a deal and someone referred me to him and said, hey, this guy really knows what he's talking about. Maybe he can help you just clean it up a bit before you respond to the VC's final questions. Um, And he was like, sure, I'll help. So he stopped what he's doing, spent hours with me, helped me get everything together. I had the final pitch and yeah, that VC gave me a nice check. And I was like, oh crap, like this guy kind of does know what he's talking about. Okay. Mm -hmm. And then it turned into, that was a one-off to me talking to him on a regular basis and him becoming a formal advisor for the company. So he became one of the main people I would go to for advice um, for the business. And when we thought about incorporating more of a technology angle to our business, instead of being purely a physical products business, um, I told him like, you know, if I'm going to go in this direction, I'm going to need to find a strong CTO. And he actually raised his hand and said, you know, Tabitha, we've been working together for the last six to eight months and we know we work well together. Um, you know, uh, I know that you're a strong leader and you have good vision and I respect you and what you're trying to do. I would like to raise my hand 
to step into this co-founder CTO role. Um, and I was really shocked because he's creme de la creme, you know, MIT, computer science background, boarding school. I mean, the list goes on and on. He's helped, you know, take companies from nothing to exits of $350 million. So this guy is very, very impressive, you know, and we also have a friendship at this point because we talk all the time. Mm -hmm. And if you talk to someone that often, it goes beyond just dollars and cents. It's Mm -hmm. how's your wife doing? How was the vacation? You know, how's a new boyfriend doing? It's all that, you know, comes up in conversation. So now he's an advisor turned friend turned co-founder and it felt very organic. Yeah, very organic because we already knew we worked well together. Um, And it was a very similar story for my second co-founder came on to help with operations and marketing. She was doing an exceptional job. Her role just continued to expand. um, And it naturally felt right to introduce her as our second co-founder. So um, I always say, like, if you can date before you marry your co-founder, that's really what you should do. 100%. I completely agree. And the only thing I'll add, because I don't think my experience is as relevant for this question, Amanda and I had the idea for our company together. So we didn't, I didn't find a co-founder so much as like have an idea with, with Amanda. Um, Mm -hmm. But the only thing I'll add is, you know, what I love about what you did was you really did wait until people presented themselves as being sort of worthy of the title of co-founder as opposed to being so focused on finding a co-founder that you just gave that title to the first person who like wanted to do anything with you because I have absolutely seen founders do that and then regret it and then feel like I don't even know why I gave this person this co-founder title when like I'm the one who had the idea I'm the one who's done all this work like and as soon as communication breaks down they're like well, you're not even really a co-founder. So, you know, like, so yep. don't rush into it would be the thing I would say. And, and you don't have to have a co-founder. Well, do I love that I have one? Yes. Do would I want to be doing this by myself? No, no, but <laughs> there, are, there are people who can make it happen. So you don't have to have one. And, and if it is important to you, just be patient uh, to, for the right person is what I would say about that. Absolutely. I just want to add on there. Um, no, you don't have to have a co-founder, but I can tell you that once I got a co-founder, the, just the growth, my happiness, productivity, everything improved. Um, but it was because I had the right co-founder and I, again, yes. like, I can't stress how there's so many parallels to like your co-founder versus your marriage. Right. Yeah. Like I have friends who are in very, very, very tumultuous marriages and some who are in blissful marriages. And the ones who are in blissful marriages always say, oh, just because I picked the right person, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, And I think it's the same thing with the co-founder. I'm like, I have such a great experience with my co-founder. I'm like, yeah, everyone should have a co-founder, but that's because I picked the right person. Yeah, yep. Um, Okay, well, the last question I wanted us to dig into because we do get it a lot is, how do you know when it's time to walk away from a startup idea, because it's easy to pour your heart and soul into a business idea. It's your baby. It's your passion. You're so excited, but not every idea is meant to be, or not every idea is meant to be by that particular person. You know, you just might not be the right person to usher that idea into fruition, but how do you know versus like, oh, I've hit a rough patch. So I just need to dig in a bit deeper, or maybe I need to find the right co-founder, or maybe I need to just you know, research some more. Um, but sometimes it means like, actually, no, I do need to walk away. So how do you know when you're at that point? 
Yeah, I think, um, you know, you just listed a whole bunch of really important things that those folks have had to have tried before this is actually a consideration. Because in my opinion, walking away should be an absolutely last resort. Like last resort meaning like you run out of money, like you run out of gas. That's why you can't do it. Or you have you ran out of all of like your mental health is on the line, you Mm. know. Uh, or, you know, you've tried the 1500 different marketing strategies and nothing is like you've tried everything. And, and that just means that probably you're either too early or there's not a market for what you're trying to sell or you can't sell it profitably. Right. But it means that you've literally tried everything under the sun. Like you can't go to someone and someone say, well, have you tried SEO marketing? You're like, oh, oh, no, I actually didn't try then you're, you're quitting too early, right? Like if someone comes yeah. to you and says, have you tried guerrilla marketing? No, I haven't. What, well, what is guerrilla marketing? Well, you haven't tried everything. So when I say everything, I literally mean like you've tried, you've tapped into every single resource in your arsenal, everyone in your LinkedIn, everyone from your network, you've gone, you've, you've done everything else that you can and there just is no product market fit. You're out of money. You're out of time. Um, you're out of mental fortitude. Um, I think that's, Personally, in my opinion, that's that's probably the only time you should quit. I know you feel slightly different, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but I think I'm also built like that's just kind of how I'm built. Like, yeah, you know, I've yeah, wired this way. Yeah, I, and I get that. I really do. I think I, I do feel differently because I have walked away from a number of startups before starting Minted, mm-hmm. and I am so grateful that I walked away from all of those startups because if I hadn't. I don't think I would have ever gotten here. And so for me, it was less about have I tried every single avenue and more about, am I still passionate about this? Mm -hmm. Or has, have I, have I run out of the passion to keep doing this? Because Mm -hmm. once the passion is gone, you know, you're sort of running on fumes anyway, even if you've still got money in the bank, like the founder of um, Zappos used to talk about this a lot with the business he started before Zappos, which I'm, I'm blanking on, but he used to talk about all the time how he built it, he made it big, he it was successful, I think he had a strong exit, but like he got to a point where he dreaded coming to work every day, right? So he had plenty of money, plenty of resources, plenty of people, plenty of everything, but like dreaded being there. You know, Mm -hmm. and I think like if there is one thing that being a founder should give you, because look, it is the hardest shit you'll ever do. So like most of it ain't sunshine and rainbows. So if there's one thing you should get to feel and be, it is passionate. That's, Mm -hmm. that's at least how I feel like, like I don't get much else, you know, we're not paying ourselves very much. I don't get a lot of respect out here. (laughs) (laughs) It's, you know, it's so hard. So at the very least, let me be passionate about it. And if you find that that passion is no longer there, then I would just say, give yourself permission to walk away. And I'm not saying passion ebbs and flows. It's not like I wake up every single morning, like this is the best thing that's ever happened to me. I'm so excited. (laughs) But generally I do have real passion for what we're building and what we're doing. And, and that hasn't waned. And so, you know, I can still wake up every morning so excited that we're building this thing and doing this thing. And with past startups, I just sort of reached a point where I was like, it felt like such a slog. It felt like, oh uh, God, I gotta, yeah. I gotta keep doing it. So that's my my personal opinion. If you know, if you're not passionate about it anymore, give yourself permission to walk away. I agree that passion has to be there. For me, what I've noticed is 
I have my, what I'm passionate about in the organization has actually evolved. Um, when I started this company, it was really passionate. I was really passionate about making it easier for people to celebrate. Now that's still very much true, but I find that my passion is now a lot more about the people. So it's more about those customers. Like I got an email last week that literally almost brought me to tears it was a customer from Denver who said the Pride Parade had been canceled because of the pandemic. They bought a rainbow party set and invited, you know, their LGBT community to come by both as a drive-by parties and also just 10 people to hang out there. And she was saying, like, you completely made our month because we thought we weren't going to be able to celebrate something that's so important to us. And you were part of it, you know? Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I mean, I'm like, that just gives me chills to think about that. Mm-hmm. And that like makes me passionate all over again. Or when I think about my team, you know, like I've ta- I talk about my team all the time because I, I genuinely love these people. Um, but I see how hard they work and how hard they go for me, you know, and for this vision and what we're trying to build. Like literally it is what 6 p.m. and people know they're going to be working for the next three hours. And like, just give me more. What else has to get done today? You're in the middle of a launch, whatever you need. Like, I'm so grateful for them. So I'm passionate every morning. because I'm like, I don't want to let these people down. And I want to let them know that they bet on the right horse here. So like, the passion has evolved, you know? So Mm -hmm. I wonder, you know, if you're, if you're losing that passion, is there an opportunity to kind of put it into something else to kind of just get you over that hump at some point? Because some businesses are just not sexy. You know, you might be building a SaaS company because you you know, there's a need, you know? So the the passion might be again about the people or Mm -hmm. something besides the solution that you're building. Mm -hmm. And, you know, your passion might be, the money you gonna make, like maybe yes, you don't, <laughs> that's real. Maybe you don't care about this little software you're building or whatever, but you know if you get it right, you're gonna yes. get paid. And maybe you're yes. passionate about that, and that's so fine true. too. But I just think if you have no passion, oh, ooh, read, this isn't this isn't you the know, business. <laughs> I just have to blow the horn on what you said about the money because I feel like a lot of people try to shame you if you say you're in it for the money, and I'm like this, you know, like no shade but this is not a non-profit you know what I mean right, like right this is a profitable business and a lot of us are in this because yes we're trying to solve a problem but we're also trying to build generational wealth we're also trying to build legacies you know we're you know in addition to helping people and I don't think it should be a bad thing to say that you're in it for money as long as you're not doing anything grimy to get ahead and to make that money like I don't see why that shouldn't be part of the conversation or, or reason we celebrate people going to entrepreneurship yeah. Yeah, I completely agree with you. I don't think there's anything wrong with being passionate about getting ahead, building wealth for yourself, for your family. I mean, I know there are people who disagree, but I personally don't think there's anything wrong with that. And if that's what drives you, then that's what drives you, you know, yeah. but there's there's just got to be something that when you wake up and you're in it late at night, like you said, wake, working until 9 p.m., 10 p.m., you feel like this thing that I'm doing really matters to me. I'm happy, you know, I'm excited to keep doing it. Right. And I don't know if you saw this post floating around on social media, but it was like, hey, guys, how about we start throwing ourselves business showers? You know how people have baby showers and wedding showers? Where like when you hit a really cool and important milestone for yourself, we all like get together and party. So maybe like a million dollar shower or a $10 million shower. And I'm like, yes, yes. I want to be there to celebrate my friends when they hit these incredible milestones for Mm -hmm. their businesses. Totally. I'm down. 
<laughs> okay, buy your party supplies from party-.com. <laughs> hey, love it. <laughs> Amazing. Um, well, look, that's it for this week, folks. We hope we answered some of your questions. Like we said, we're going to be doing this every quarter. Um, so if we didn't get to it this time, you can always let us know your question. And of course, if you're loving the show, be sure to subscribe and give us a five-star rating if you're listening on Apple Podcasts. Absolutely. And as KJ said, if you're trying to figure out where to send us those grab bag questions, just shoot us an email at winddownbuildup at gmail.com. Thanks for listening and see you next week. Bye. Cheers. Cheers. <laughs>